yes, that is golden. <laughs> um, and so important, like, cause we do think about health as like, are you healthy or are you not healthy? And it's like, neither, like no one is like all healthy financially, like, um, spiritually, mentally, physically, like, and what does that look like for people? And how does it exclude certain people from that narrative of mm-hmm. goodness related mm-hmm. to health? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, we gotta, we gotta work on that one. Yeah. There's so many things to work on. <laughs> um, shifting gears a little bit, um, to body positivity. Um, what is that? Um, and how has it kind of shifted and changed since its origins? Hi, this is Mimi and welcome to my podcast, The Lovely Becoming. Today's guest is Christina Johnson, who's a registered dietitian in the Dallas, Texas area. Um, Hi, Christina. Hi, how are you? I'm great. I'm so glad we could do this again. (laughs) Yes, very excited. Um, So tell us about yourself. What do you do? What do you love? Hi, uh, I'm a registered dietitian. I primarily work with eating disorders and intuitive eating. And outside of that, I think I really love kayaking and trying to keep my plants alive. <laughs> I really, I um, don't have any plants though, because they've all died in the past. So <laughs> my fiddly fig is still alive. And honestly, I think that's my greatest accomplishment right now. Nice. Nice. Um, so jumping right in, uh, what is weight stigma? Um, Cause we haven't really discussed that on the podcast too much. Um, and what does it have to do with eating disorders? Yeah, weight stigma is this sort of pervasive belief that people in larger bodies are less worthy, uh, lazy, inherently bad, wrong, um, and it shows up in uh, shows up in like conversations that we have, ways that medicine is sort of perpetuated. Uh, whether it's like you know someone in the larger body getting a different diagnosis than someone in a smaller body, or not being able to get the diagnosis. Um, it shows up in the way that clothing is sort of manufactured where things in larger sizes are typically uh, more expensive. And then, you know, um, it sort of leaks into the sort of um, the zeitgeist of the culture as a way of like talking about or referring to people in larger bodies in in a way that's very othering um, and can be very detrimental to people's uh, mental health as it relates to them sort of navigating the world when they feel like they don't fit in, they feel like they can't have, they don't have access to the things uh, that someone in a straight size body would have because they oftentimes don't have things, access to the things that people in a straight size body would have. And so this, you know, in the context of eating disorders becomes a thing where um, people do not get the appropriate diagnosis because we're viewing eating disorders through a weight lens of like, in order to sort of fit this diagnosis, you must be this size as a compared to, in order to fit the diagnosis, you must display the behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can also, and I think I see this the most often, it shows up when someone's trying to get treatment and insurance pushes back because insurance is p- purely looking at the numbers of like, this person's weight is, you know, I'm using air quotes around this, not dangerous. Um, and so thus we don't need to continue to support this level of care regardless of what's happening behavior wise, they're just looking at the weight. And so it's very like, um, it can be very counterproductive, very unhelpful, or, you know, in some cases like meal plans being based on like, oh, this person in this larger body doesn't, you know, they don't need to weight restore or they don't need um, as much food as someone in a smaller body who needs weight restore. And when it's like, is that, is that really based in science or is that your weight stigma? Mm, Yeah. No, that's really helpful. And that kind of sucks and um, not even kind of very much does. Um, and so I'm grateful we could talk about this. Um, 
thinking about uh, weight restoration, um, what is that process like for someone who maybe isn't underweight according to the BMI and do people in all bodies need weight restoration? How do we know? So if someone is like weight suppressed, right? If they are below the weight that their body would naturally land at, if they were adequately nourished over the course of the day, then that person is likely to, you know, have their weight change over the course of their recovery process. And so I personally do not look at it any different than someone who like is at a, you know, a more, um, um, trying to find like a word that's not so like aggressive, but like if someone's in a very small body, I'm not going to look at that any different than someone in any other body size of like, what is an appropriate amount of food for this person based on um, their history, what their eating sort of behavior is based on um, their sort of activity level, if, if we need to do sort of an exercise restriction, like all these different factors that I sort of pull in. And I'm not really going to look at, look at it any different based on the body size so much as like, what does this individual need? for all systems to be go, right? For their brain to come back online, for their hormones to be where they need to be, for their hunger cues to sort of come back and be, you know, adequate and reliable, consistent. Um, and that that's a, such an individual thing that I, to me, it seems kind of odd that we would sort of create this blanket statement of like, only people in this body need to restore and everybody else just kind of has to stay where they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because we don't necessarily have like a specific number that people's bodies are going to, um, be healthy at that we know of, you know? Um, and I think we try and make it so that everyone is the same and everyone goes to certain numbers and that numbers game can be so detrimental to recovery and to everything. Yeah. I think that's a very old school way of looking at it. I think that was how we, you know, like the people that sort of like my supervisor and like people who have been in the field longer, I think that is how they were originally taught is like, there's this sort of range that all the people need to sort of exist in. And I don't find that to be true. And I even like, I can think about my current caseload now and I'm like, no, like it's so unique. It's so individual. And like, there are people that came to me that like, were not, you know, in this, they were in a very small body for them, but it was not this like, you know, and so having to still restore them and having to have this conversation over and over again of like, why are you making me do this? And it's like, cause your brain is not online. Like, yeah, you can't think clearly. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's why we're doing this. Like it's so that you can, you can think clearly and, and less with, with less rigidity. Mm-hmm. And what are some indicators that your brain is like coming back to life or that you're in touch with your body? Um, I think it's kind of individual for people, but the ones that I usually go for is how flexible is this person? Like, is this, and not like physical flexibility, but like mental (laughs) flexibility. Like if I change something on this person, are they going to like get really, really rigid and like struggle to deal with the change that I just made, right? Because sometimes that's just kind of how things go where I have to make a change in the moment and I need you to be flexible and sort of roll with it. Um, A lot of times in session, the conversation starts to change um, where I'm not having to incite this person to challenge themselves. They will start to do it on their own where they're like, I've really been thinking about this and I'm going to, I'm going to, I've been trying to do blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, huh, I didn't even have to say, I've been thinking about that, but I'm glad you did it. Um, it, it's really in like, um, can they adjust to change quickly? Like if I need to change something, if some part of their treatment is changing and also like, what is their conversation? Like, is it just like, 
I don't like my meal plan. I'm sick of my meal plan. <laughs> and know that this is not me being like mean about it. Like this is just a conversation I have often where like that's how it starts of like, are you sure this is enough? This seems like too much. Are you sure this is enough? This seems like too much. And then it'll start to shift to, I don't, I can't tell if I'm hungry. I don't know if I'm hungry. Is this me being hungry? And then it becomes, I'm hungry and I don't like that. That's scary for me. This feels uncomfortable, right? So as it's, it, the conversation will start to shift and it will start to move forward. And that's really how I know this person's brain is starting to come back online. Um, that and their humor, their <laughs> sense of humor. Yeah. Yeah, inability to just kind of be playful about conversations around food and yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, thinking about eating disorders, uh, it sounds like, and and we both know this, but I think for people who are new to this space, like eating disorders happen in all sized bodies. Is that correct? Absolutely factual. <laughs> um, eating disorders do not have a look. You cannot look at an individual until they have an eating disorder. Is a mental illness, right? It occurs in someone's brain. And if you can see their eating disorder manifested, that means that is a late stage part of the process. Um, and so, you know, an eating disorder can occur literally in any body, in any gender, in any sexuality, any ethnicity, any, you know, religious affiliation, lack of religion, you know, some total, like it is, I always refer to it as an equal opportunity lender, right? Mm-hmm. As long as you have a brain, and uh, like, there's a possibility, there's a potential with the combination of genetics, environment, you know, those things, like, it's totally possible that, you know, any human being could have any disorder. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, why did you choose the route, the route of dietetics as opposed to maybe different ways you could work with eating disorders? Um, or also, uh, did your wanting to work with eating disorders precede your wanting to be a dietitian? Yeah, so I, I originally, so much younger, I thought I wanted to be a therapist. And then I realized like, no, I don't think that one's for me. <laughs> um, shout out to all the therapists in the world. Y'all are the greatest. And I love being able to hand things back to you, like bless. Uh, <laughs> and then I was like, I'm going to be a doctor. And then I realized I wanted to start my career before I was 30. <laughs> and uh, uh, spoiler alert, I did that. Yes. So I realized like junior year of high school, like, oh no, I, I actually don't want to go to school to be a doctor. Okay, what do I want to go to school to be? And so I like did a little career aptitude test and that was one of the things that came back. And I was like, cause everything else I was like, I don't want to be that. And dietitian popped up and I was like, what is a dietitian? Cause I'd never like heard anyone refer to a dietitian. I'd heard people refer to like nutritionists and stuff but I never heard anybody refer to a dietitian. So I like Googled it, figured out what they did. And I was like, okay and then a lot of the things that sort of popped up were like eating disorder dietitians aside from like when someone works in a hospital like an acute care like clinical hospital um and so I was like I think I could do that I want to do that and I think it sort of marries that world of like I wanted to be a therapist but I didn't want to be a therapist I wanted to be a doctor but I didn't want to be a doctor (laughs) and I want to work with eating disorder so I'll do I'll do the food thing um I think it worked out very well for me because I still get to have these sort of therapeutic interventions um whilst you know very sort of obviously tailored towards food and then like there is that still like medical sort of piece of like what is happening for this person internally you know reviewing labs um and then also I think there's like at a certain point and I think this is also how I know somebody's brain is back online um I get to be very playful with food where we actually like are getting our hands in it and having fun and like playing with it as opposed to it being this like really rigid um sort of scenario and so I think like, uh, I think I really, really enjoy it. And it allows me to like 
my clients refer to like the work that we do as like therapeutic violence. <sighs> There's this part of my brain that's like, oh, we still have to think about diversity. Um, but more so of like, why do we still need to think about this? Like, why is this such a hard issue to solve? But obviously I understand why it's such a hard issue to solve, but I think there's a significant lack of diversity in the field of dietetics. I believe we're somewhere around at 90% where 90% are white. And I think like 97% identify as female, like it is such a homogenous field that it creates this sort of, um, two worlds almost where there's this part of the field and then there's a sort of other part of the field where all the people who you know are sort of on the fringes like minority populations or people who are not sort of clinical dietitians sort of hang out um but I think a lot of that comes from the process to become a dietitian of like you go to school for four years you get a degree in nutrition and then you have to apply for an internship and 49 percent of the people who apply for an internship get an internship but in order to do that you got to shell out some money um, and so, so you pay for each individual program you apply to, and then you pay for a separate software just to tell them, just to send it to them. And then there's this other, like there's two separate softwares you have to pay for. And then on top of this, some schools still make you write another check. So you've paid for two softwares and then you have to write an additional check to some of these places. Um, and then you have to, you know, you know, all your, however you sort of move through the world, whether you're a praying person, a manifested person, whatever, right? You have to hope, hope that you were in that 49% that matches. And then you got to pay cash money, right? So last time I checked, most internships are going to run you at least $8,000. And yes, and I'm, I am paying them to work for free. I'm getting, baby, I'm getting ready to work for free for at least six to eight months. And then they asked me not to have a job, right? Because that, the job is sort of uh, a, a distraction to the work that I need to be doing because I'm working a 40-hour work week plus projects that I need to be doing, which does make sense. Um, and, and, you know, since I started school, they tacked on the piece of, oh, not only do you need this undergraduate degree, now we need you to get a master's. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. Isn't it? To be paying to not make anything. I made exactly zero dollars. <laughs> I lost money. Like, clearly. Yes. My Jeez. goodness. Very stressful. Very incredibly. And like, if, and I remember my like professor in undergrad saying like, if you get an internship, unless some like tragic life event happens, just take it. Because if you turn down an internship, the chances of you getting a, applying and getting another one goes down significantly. Mm-hmm. I'm a firm believer in internships should be paid. Like you're doing all the work. I'm a firm believer that this should be a part of the schooling process. I feel like it should, in, in terms of nutrition, I feel like it should mirror nursing school where you have the first two years of undergraduate degree. And then those second two years you're in nursing school getting all the practical experience that you need. By the time I get out of there, all I gotta do is sit for my exam and then I can go on my married life. Yes. I don't understand why I need to do this whole for like, Obviously I've done it and I understand why I need it, but I don't see why those two can't be a concurrent thing. Why does this have to be the sort of separate thing on the outside? Absolutely. And that makes a lot of barriers for people to be able to enter the field, let alone that process with 49% of people getting internships. Like what about the other 51% like who have done all this work, have paid to apply and then aren't able to enter the field? Right. And so then you have these people who get these degrees and then feel sort of like, okay, well, what do I do with it? Because 
be honest with you, I don't know what you're going to do with a degree with nutrition and not actually be a dietitian. Like it's, it's not useless, but it's, it's very limiting in what it can actually be applied to. Um, and so I think like that contributes a lot to it, but then I think also like being in the field, the number of dietitians that I've spoken with who have wanted to leave the field because they felt bullied or othered or just like, what is like, they loved the work that they did, but they felt like an island because they felt so like, I'm in this, you know, I'm in this room and there's 10 dietitians on staff and only one of them is a person of color. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so like sort of them sort of processing through like, what was their, what is their continued drive to stay in the field when it feels so hard and so difficult and so othering. Yeah. And I think it really is the work of like, we genuinely love what we do. Like I was telling someone earlier where I was like, I absolutely love what I do. And then I forget until I go to a professional thing and I'm like, oh yeah, they are all white. (laughs) And it's this like, sort of like reckoning of like, dang, we're still doing that. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I was reading that only 4% of psychologists are um, Black or African-American. And I was like, wow, that's shocking. We have a lot of them here in Dallas, which I appreciate. Yeah. Yeah. I actually work, I've worked with a few. I shared clients with a few, like, yeah. That's awesome. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So diversity uh, is a little, <laughs> a lot lacking. Lackluster. Um, <laughs> what about kind of expanding beyond dietetics within um, intuitive eating and recovery spaces? Is it better, the same? I, I think it's better in terms of like, especially with the advent of the internet. <laughs> Um, having sort of online recovery spaces where people can start to feel a bit more connected. I think that the field does not match the actual community at all, like not even a little bit. Um, but I do think that there's a bit more diversity there. I think in terms of like, who's sort of leading the intuitive eating space, the recovery space, no, there's not very much diversity there. Um, maybe like a sprinkle more in that I think it's a bit more, uh, which I'm, you know, very glad to see. I think it's more accepted and more sort of champion that someone be in this sort of diverse space of like, whether they're like trans or gender non-conforming or like um, disabled or, you know, a person of color, um, an immigrant, right? Like, I think that I, like, cause I'm, I'm tough as it relates to like, I am not going to let your eating disorder like get away with anything as long as I know, like, like I will continue to just challenge, challenge, challenge. But I think that that's what, I think that's what they need. Yeah. And so I love it. I enjoy it. I love that. That's so awesome. And I think it really does like combine all the things that you were interested in. Um, and it's such a great field to be a part of. And we're lucky to have you as a part of it as well. Thank you. Thank you. Um, tell us about diversity in the field of dietetics or the lack thereof. <laughs> I was like, what diversity girl? Um, I think, uh, in the recovery space, I think we've worked a lot harder to make that to be this sort of really acceptable thing, um, acceptable and celebrated thing for someone to not be the sort of cookie cutter person versus in the field. I think that like in the field of nutrition, at least I can only speak for that of like, it is still very much champion that we all be cookie cutter. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I like cookies, but I won't be a cookie cutter. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> it won't happen. I agree. And I think it's interesting that, you know, it's almost like you can be a person who's receiving care um, in, and have whole different identities and be celebrated, 
but you can't be the one giving care, which is really odd and interesting. To speak on that. And then it's like, if you are the one giving care and have these marginalized identities, don't you dare bring it in the room. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, what do you want me to do? It came in whether I wanted to or not. Did you want me to not be in the room? <laughs> it's coming in. If I came in, like, I don't know what you want from me. Yes. Uh, a thousand percent. Yes. It's wild. It's a wild world we live in. Um, whew, uh, what does culture have to do with the ways we define health and well-being as a society? Uh, I can only speak for America because this is the only country I've lived lived in. Um, But I think Western culture has health be this very individualized thing because Western culture is very individualized of like personal responsibility. And so health has become this personal responsibility and a a moral standing where if you are not healthy, you have failed as a human being. You have failed morally. You are bad. You are wrong. It is your fault, which is not true. Um, you can influence your health, but also there's a lot of other things that influence what is happening with your health, right? Poverty, um, gender violence, sexual violence, like sexual violence, right? Like all these different things that impact someone's, you know, life process that is outside of the control of that individual human being. And yet we're still blaming them for, you know, all the things that possibly go wrong in their life. Um, and I, so I think that that greatly impacts our concept of health. Because if you look at other cultures, their concept of health is a more communal concept of health, whether it's a more familial concept of health or an actual like communal, like in this community, everyone takes care of themselves, whether or not you are a family. Um, And when you look at it that way, the sort of health outcomes are drastically different because you are not alone in the health process. Not one individual is to blame. Everyone sort of picks up pieces to help take care of the individual that needs more support. Yeah, I think that's interesting, like individualistic cultures. It's very, it can be helpful to have some agency in um, what you're doing, but it can also be harmful because it's like, it's all on you and you need to be um, taking care of your health and and this moral obligation like you talked about. Um, So that can be really harmful as well. Mm -hmm. It creates a very like perfectionist sort of like black and white uh, dichotomous thinking and like even the thought that like you have health or you don't as a dichotomous thing, the furthest thing from the truth. Like mm-hmm. that's just not how it exists. Like the longer I'm in the field, the older I get, the more I'm like, we have really got to start getting rid of some of these binary things that we think about, baby. Because let me tell you how health is not a binary. Like you can have health in one area of your life and have less health in another area of your life in the context of like if someone lives with a chronic illness if we think of health as a binary, then technically they're never allowed to be healthy again. But if health is a spectrum, then they can manage their chronic illness well and lead a wonderful, vibrant, thriving life. Um, (laughs) You know, as it currently stands on the internet, hashtag Bopo, um, it is very much a whitewashed, thin, cisgender, female, conventionally attractive thing, um, able-bodied. And that was not the origin at all whatsoever. It started in, uh, you know, black, queer, femme spaces of like, we want to see ourselves represented. We want to see disabled bodies represented as um, acceptable and celebrated, right? Like you can be disabled and be celebrated and there's nothing wrong with that. You don't have to apologize for being disabled. And we've sort of taken that and stripped it of everything and then commercialized it and sold it back. And yep. it's just like, if you can sell me a movement, I don't want it. Maps to that, honestly. <laughs> like the diet industry, like it's so sellable or like 
even dare you sell me ice cream that is diet ice cream and then try to petition it to me as body positive like you have lost your mind (laughs) (laughs) yes and the sneaky ways things show up like you know are co-opted and it's like intuitive fasting like using those buzzwords and it's like no 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 (laughs) thanks to the advent of the internet yes yes (laughs) it's it's crazy um and it's interesting to think about like who again is excluded from these spaces and who is kind of like pushed to the forefront of these movements and narratives um that were originally usually meant for um, the amplification of marginalized voices um, and the way they just shift to be uh, more more centered around the those with the most privilege. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't like I I don't really pay attention to that space anymore. Like it's not for me. Yeah, like, they that is nobody was thinking about me. Not anymore. So I'm like, all right, y'all can have it. Like do what you want, but like that's not it's not my thing. Yeah, and it's so sad because of what it could be know but it's not what it could be so um what about fat phobia um I've often heard more recently actually um that fat phobia is tied to racism um but I'm curious to understand the links I have the book on the shelf on my shelf on my bookshelf um uh fear in the black body the racial origins of fat phobia for Sabrina Strings Dr. Sabrina Strings um it very much is rooted in this concept of other, right? Like if we you know, think about the sort of theme as we're running through it, right? It is always, how can I create other? And so one of the ways that you could create other is by categorizing people by their body. And so what happened is sort of, you know, as planes, trains, automobiles, right? So ships come, they take people from Africa to other countries, the sort of introduction of African people into these European countries sort of creates this very interesting dichotomy of like, we are European, you are not. And how are we gonna create this sort of, you know, distance, this sort of space between we are European, you are not. And it continue to evolve and become like, you are a slave and I don't wanna look like you. You are a savage, I don't wanna look like you. You are a barbaric, I don't wanna look like you. And then it continued to evolve and picked up this religious tone of like, you are less holy, you are less pure, you are less worthy or valuable. Um, based on the size of your body, the proportions of your body, what you are choosing to eat or not eat. Um, and it has continued to shift and evolve. And it has just, uh, it's got good makeup. <laughs> is how I will put this. It's, the face is beaked. Um, but you, it's, you still cannot deny that it is very much rooted in that. Because if you sort of strip back all the layers, it's still coming down to, you do not want to look like fat Black people. Mm-hmm. You do not want to be considered that sort of barbaric, savage human being. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. I was reading Anti-Diet as well. And it talked about how, you know, they had that argument before medical studies about, quote, health being related to size and how that was almost like a way to perpetuate it and like fear monger with this idea of like, well, you have to be healthy and you have to be healthy. Who said you have to be healthy? Like, and like we said, like, what does that even mean? And what does that mean about the type of person you are if you can't access health? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. First of all, I don't owe anybody health and neither do you. Um, but then also this is, you know, in this same sort of time frame, we also have the, uh, the onset of um, uh, sort of like racial studies of like um, 
you can tell someone's ethnicity by the size of their skull. Right. right, like we all know this to be some absolute nonsense cynical science. Like we've completely debunked this, but this is sort of the onset of that, of like creating this hierarchy of like this racial group is at the top, these people are at the bottom, right? Keep in mind race is a social construct, mm-hmm. right? But we've created the construct of race and then sort of tried to back it up with science once we created the construct. So mm-hmm. we reverse engineered it. <laughs> Great, glad we did that. <laughs> And so if I can read something, learn something, have at least like a baseline piece of knowledge and then if continue to build on it, you know, as the sort of seasons present themselves. But like, I, like I'm totally comfortable being like, you know, I actually don't know anything about that, but if I can, you know, help it, I'm going to try to have enough, you know, free floating random facts in there that I can be like, here's what I know, but I'm going to keep learning. Yeah, that's so helpful. And such a great orientation as a dietitian and as anyone really honestly, fives are pretty great. So that's awesome. Um, where would you encourage someone to start learning if they're curious about these topics? Depending on, you know, the human being, if you're more of a reader, I definitely recommend like, you know, the, the book I mentioned earlier, um, Fearing the Black Body, The Racial Origins of Fat Phobia, um, the most recent edition of the Intuitive Eating Book, the Intuitive Eating Workbook, uh, Health at Every Size by Lindo Bacon. Um, if you're more of a podcaster, I recommend like listening to different podcasts like your podcast. Um, Christy Harrison's Food Psych is a great one. Um, also, uh, Maintenance Phase that mm-hmm. I always hear rave reviews about that one. I have not had a chance to see. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it's really interesting to think about um, like, what came first like it's not even a chicken or the egg type of thing it's like we know what came first was like the racial um the racism and then you know just building off of that and and turning it into something else Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um how did you learn about all of these things and become the amazing person you are uh she's a reader um i if if you know anything about the Enneagram at Minigram five. Yes. Right. So that should tell you everything you need to know yeah, about that's me. It. <laughs> I like uh, you know, sort of jokingly, but like I really genuinely deeply enjoy knowledge. And I always said, like, if I could have any superpower, it would be like osmosis learning where I could touch something, know all the information and know how to apply it. Right. Like I would just absolutely love that. Um, but it was, I didn't it comes from this sort of like constant drive to not have someone walk into my office and I not know how to help them. It's amazing. Potatoes are all purpose, but potatoes are what cauliflower wish it could be. <laughs> you said it right here. <laughs> Don't listen, but I've heard absolutely nothing but positive rave reviews about that one as they sort of break down all these different myths about what it means to be a human and exist in like diet culture and health and wellness and all that. So. Yeah, I've heard similar amazing things. I really need to listen. So yeah, yeah, that'll be good. Um, What are your favorite foods? Um, Always and forever love is potatoes. Always forever love. Like (laughs) I can, look, I can always make an argument for potato. Potatoes truly are the real OG. The potatoes are the real MVP. Think about it, right? Potatoes can be a baked potato, a sweet potato. There's so many different varieties of potatoes and it could be, you know, baked. It could be twice baked. It could be sauteed au gratin. It could be roasted, like French fries, hash browns, hash brown. It it could be vodka. 
potato chips. I think I'm becoming more settled and like settling into my career, being okay with like being a quote expert. Sure, whatever. <laughs> like, <laughs> if that's what y'all think, that's what y'all think. Look, yes. I am whatever I say I am. If I wasn't, then what would I say I am, right? Um, but also like being comfortable and confident and settled into my skill and knowing like I really did put the work in and obviously I will continue to grow and like if this is where we're at at year 2.5 like <laughs> the sky is the limit it is the like the sky is the limit and like the more that I like you know am in session and have these like um these conversations that I think like if I would have you know told my college version of myself you'd be sitting in a, in a session having a conversation about sexuality as a dietitian I think I would have literally like looked at you and been like I need to change careers and now I'm like oh I wouldn't imagine anything else because of the ways that like it's even as a dietitian it is it would be wildly inappropriate for me to not touch on these different topics that impact the way that someone views themselves and then in the turn you know impacts the way that they choose to nurse themselves themselves and so like I just I love that I'm really starting to settle into this and be like no, I, uh, I am that girl and that's okay. Like it is okay that I do this and be good at it. Yes. That's amazing. I'm so grateful for your time and for your wisdom and expertise. And you are pretty amazing. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yes. Not even going to get started on cauliflower. And (laughs) (laughs) I'm boycotting cauliflower just because I don't really want to hear about it. Oh my gosh. Uh, And my last question that I ask everyone, and I appreciate you going with my uh, discontinuous flow of questions, but um, how are you becoming? 